Terrence Harden going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... He's been paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contracts. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around. And the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life... And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 million a year. He probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free agency. I think agency. he could have got a lot more in the offseason. But you got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, man. No question. What's going on, party people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. With me today, you guys heard last week, I had, I suppose it was part one of a pre-March Madness overview of the NBA draft. So this is going to be part two. You heard Isaac from Global Scouting on, and now he is with Draft Digest with Sports Illustrated. But this episode, I am very pleased to introduce the man, the myth, and the legends, Raphael Ballo. He is the director of scouting at NBA Big Board. He is the host of the NBA Big Board podcast, and he's a founder of NBA Draft Junkies. Raphael, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. I've never been called a legend before, so that kind of threw me off. <laughs> but, but I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Yeah, it's March. There's nothing to complain about with March Madness. Is Selection Sunday is actually less than a week away, so... Yeah. I'm excited. Conference tournaments are underway. And yeah, it's the best time of year for draft people. As you guys know, I am more of a front office guy than I am solely and strictly a draft guy. But now, you know, the trade deadline's passed. You guys saw my mock trade deadline. I will be starting my mock offseason soon. But yeah, it's it's draft. You know, it never sleeps. It's year-round. So I have Raphael with me today. And for those of you, go check out his work at NBA Big Board. It's NBABigBoard.com, correct? I know yep, it's yep. a substack, but okay. So go follow his work at NBABigBoard.com. And for a lot of you guys who are aspiring gun office people, general managers, you know that's the field I'm trying to get into. Raphael did post an inspiring story of basically his journey into where he got to where he is today up until, you know, Chad Ford handpicked him to basically take over NBA Big Board. So, Raphael, first of all, I do want to thank you again. I know we DM privately, and I said, I'm currently struggling with the journey that you've already gone on. So if I can relate to it, there's, I, I understand how difficult the process is. And again, there's, I know there's thousands of people like me and a thousand people who are going through the journey, maybe more than thousands, but that have mm-hmm. gone through the journey that you already went through. So I don't want to spoil the article. I definitely want, I definitely encourage people to go read that. But I, I suppose my question is what, what, dis, what made you decide to want to share your story with people? Um, it was a couple of things. Um, I, I did a video last year. Um, and I put it on YouTube. It was on my NBA Draft Junkie site. I did a video similar. And um, and some people, they liked it. And people told me that, you know, basically what you said, struggling through the same thing. And then um, I have an editor at NBA Big Board who was a leftover from when Chad Ford left. And I'm just so thankful that they gave me an editor that has experience like working at ESPN. And he's the editor for some of the biggest names in, in sports. And so... Um, he was telling me that I never really got a chance to introduce myself. A lot of people 
that know my name now maybe did not know me a year ago. And so, cause I came in like right around this time, it was like March madness. And then I'm just trying to, you know, write about the different prospects and, and the conference tournaments and so on. So he he thought like it would be a good idea to, to just kind of tell my story. And he mentioned, you know, the more, the better. And then he would kind of chop it up and, and, and put it together. And so I just started writing and writing and then I, I sent the first draft and um, he was like, well, you're missing like the first 30 years of your life. And so I went back and started writing more. So now I feel like I've, I've written a book, but we tried to condense it into what, what it ended up being um, when we released it on, on Thursday or Friday. So that was the main reason. Um, and I, I've always felt like if I had an opportunity where I had a platform, I wanted to use my platform to help other people out because I think my journey is pretty unique. And it's unique because I just picked up so many different skill sets along the way. And I've been able to like travel to like 23 different countries. I've served as a videographer, a player manager, a skills trainer. I've just worn so many different hats, but I've always wanted to do scouting. And so I just realized that nobody was going to open a door for me. I just had to kick it down myself. And that's that's what I did. So um, eventually, you know, the stories, eventually I want to continue to like tell the story, maybe a book or something like that one day. Absolutely. Nowhere near where I, you know, want to be. So the story is still being written. But I do feel like maybe I could be like an inspiration to people who have the same dream and people who are struggling with it and feel like it's not going to happen and, and are close to giving up that. You know, it's just easier to give up than it is to to continue to go after your dream. Of course. And again, I have relationships with plenty of people on draft Twitter that, again, not only are struggling with the same thing you've struggled with, the same thing I'm struggling with, but people that, you know, have told me, look, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And mm -hmm. it's definitely a grind. So I do appreciate you, you know, being vulnerable, sharing that. And again, your goal is accomplished. You definitely inspired a bunch of us, including myself. Yeah, hopefully I can continue more. I mean, like, um, I honestly feel like this part of like my purpose in my journey at the higher I, I go and I have, you know, huge aspirations and a big shout out to you for not being afraid to share like your vision. You know, there are a lot of people who are really scared of sharing their vision because they think other people are going to have something to say or they're just not confident in expressing their long-term goals out loud. And one of the things that, I mean, just the brief time that we've talked, you have no hesitation and you're not shy about mentioning your long-term goals, which I think is, I think is awesome. A lot of people don't have that. So I just want to, I mean, I, I want to continue to, to grow in this industry. I want to, you know, one day be the general manager of, of an NBA team down the line. I have some some short-term goals in between there. But I want people to, again, just be like, okay, if he did it, then I can do it. Because I didn't have, you know, a, a dad that got me the job or anything like that. I just had to scratch and crawl, just figure out exactly. how to separate myself from the pack. So I could talk about this all day. I, I actually enjoy talking about not because it's like my story, but I enjoy talking about the different 
paths that I had to take to to get to where I'm at today. And I still, again, I'm not nowhere near where I want to be. So I could talk about this all day. Of course. And again, I don't want to compare anybody in the industry to anybody else, but from a draft aspect, it must be pretty cool for a guy like Mike Schmitz from ESPN to get a job in, as a Trailblazers assistant GM. Cause you know, that's, he kind of is now paving the way for a bunch yep. of draft people to really get those big time front office gigs. So. Yeah. And, and Mike deserves it because Mike is one of the nicest people that you'll meet. Like one of the things, if you hear anybody talk about Mike, they'd be like, man, that dude is, he's a cool dude. And you know, this space, people can be really territorial. People can be threatened by somebody that's younger, more talented, more gifted. I mean, it could be something like a podcast. Somebody could have a podcast. And if somebody comes along that has more knowledge and they're, you know, a, a better speaker, more personality, they may not be willing to help them. Same thing if it's a person that is a scout, they cover the draft and they're not really big on the analytics. And they know that the analytics is the way the game is going. If there's some young 19 year old that is just the wizard with the math and all of that they may not be willing to help them mike has always been down to earth and he's just always been a good dude so when he got the job i probably one of a million people that reached out to him and then he eventually like got back with me and he asked me what did i want to do long term and uh, mike's been great so if if mike is inspiration number one i would love to be like inspiration number two as far as just seeing somebody just kind of climb up the ranks from doing what you love that that's the most important thing to me doing what you love there's no replacement for that yeah no i'm completely on board with that that's why you know you said you want to be an nba gm i have the same ambitions and aspirations so we're in the same boat of you know doing what you love and that's why i'm doing what i'm doing i'm doing the mock trade deadline, the mock offseason, um, everything everything in between. I draft stuff now I'm trying to get into because I know if I get into a front office, it's like you're going to be as a video coordinator or in the scouting department somewhere. So, again, I, I love college basketball. I love the NBA. So the scouting comes easy to me anyway. But, you know, that's, that's the vision. So let me ask you, Given your experience with scouting, and again, we could move on. Do you have anything left over to say regarding your journey or anything? Because I'm going to move past that. No, I can't. I, I mean, my journey is so long. It day, and it's What's that? I said I know we could talk about it all day. Yeah. My, my journey is so long. I mean, it is really long. And it's so f- many disappointments along the way. I mean, there's so much stuff that I left out in the article. But... Like you, how you said that you wanted to learn different aspects of it. One of the things that I wanted to do was learn the player development side. So I, I there was a guy named Tim Martin who's now like a well-known trainer. But when Tim was starting off in Dallas, he had NBA clients. I mean, he was a guy that just kind of looked like me. I mean, he wasn't tall. He didn't have like this great NBA resume. He was a young dude and he had NBA clients. I didn't know anybody that trained NBA clients at the time. And so I had mentioned to him, could I watch him? Could I watch him like work out? It was Josh Howard and Devin Harris. And he said, yeah. So I brought an iPad and I went to, I've told the story a couple of times, but I went to film them work out with the iPad. Right. And maybe about an hour later after I got home, I get a call from Tim, and he's asking me, did I have any video of Josh Howard 
um, jumping because Josh had just tore his ACL the season before he was rehabbing. He felt like he was ready to get back to the NBA. But this is like 2012. This is before everybody has a camera and everybody's like filming workouts and so on. And he, he just said, we just need one clip of him dunking. If you got that one clip of him dunking, that'd be great. We can send it out to teams. So in my mind, and I'm at, and I'm sure you can probably relate to this. I'm thinking, what would I want to see if I am a general manager of an NBA team? And there's a former all-star that's coming off for injury. One clip is not going to be enough. Mm-hmm. So I, I, and I was pretty raw at editing. So I made this video of every time he did a layup, every time he cut, jumped, so on. So I sent it to Tim. Maybe 30 minutes later, I get this call, and it's this guy. And I actually just ran into him at the Mavs Pacers game a couple days ago. But this guy calls me. He's like, yo, oh, my God. I'm going to take care of you. Yo, oh, my God. Whoa. I mean, he's just, like, screaming. I don't know what's going on. So the next day, one of my friends from college calls me. He's like, is there another Rafael Barlow? I'm like, I I doubt it. I don't think my name is a, a very common name. He's like, did you do a, a video on Josh Howard? I said, yeah, how did you know? He's like, it's in the Washington Post. Okay. And I'm like, what? He's like, it's in the Washington Post. So Josh's PR team sent it out to uh, Michael Lee, who was a writer for the Washington Post. Again, this is 2012. This is before everybody's like mm-hmm. carrying video cameras and camera phones, filming stuff. And they did a whole article about Josh, um, his rehab. He was healthy. They showed the video. And maybe a week later, he got signed by the Utah Jazz. And that was when I realized, like, okay, this video stuff could be a separator. It could be something that gets me indoors that I'll never be able to get into. Because now I can, now I got Josh's phone number, right? I can call him or, you know, I mean, like there's people who don't have an NBA player's name in their phone. And for me, that was a big deal at the time. Of course. And from there, I became a videographer. And that, when I say that got me in so many doors to living with a player, to traveling to Europe and different countries with players. So long story short, find for anybody that wants to get involved, find something that kind of separates you from the pack. It may be a little bit difficult now, but find like your niche, this one thing that you do well that can get you indoors that, you know, you may not be able to get into and then find out like if it's a team or a player or G league team, college, whatever, find out an area where they need help at and make that like your baby, like make that where you add value. And, you know, like when I worked for the Texas legends, I drove the team van. I washed the clothes. I did the laundry, I cleaned out the apartments for players when they got cut. All of that in exchange for access. And then the access led to so many. I mean, so my story is pretty crazy. So I'm I didn't even know that part. So thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, uh, there's so many, mm-hmm. so many aspects. And I know I, I shared it with you in the DMs. Like the worst part about my story that it was only limited to like a sentence was I got an internship with the LA Clippers. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, I made it. I thought, like, you know, at, at the time, I was probably, like, three or four years in, which seemed like a long time. And um, 
and I, I'll share this story, then we could we can go on to it. But I think this is probably like the most important part of my of my story as far as like not giving up. So I had moved to LA after like losing my job. And when I lost my job, I thought, like, okay, this is it. This is like the sign that says I'm not supposed to be working. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna just focus all in on basketball. I got unemployment and I'm just gonna live off that. I'm gonna figure it out. Went to LA to visit a friend of mine, ended up staying there for like 18 months, just doing different odd jobs here and there. And right when I was getting ready to give up, and you talked about people are ready to give up. Right when I was ready to give up, um, I decided to move back to Dallas. And I was actually here in Dallas trying to figure out where I'm going to live. And I got this call from the pastor of the church I was going to in California. And he says, hey, I got an internship for you. It's with the L.A. Clippers. It's yours. I'm like, really? He's like, it's yours. But it's in the PR department. It's not on the basketball side. But the lady says, if you do well, then she can transition you over to the PR department. So I'm thinking like anybody else would think like this is it. This is my break. I made it. So I'm 30 years old at the time, and they tell me that it has to be for class credit. So I'm like, dang. All right, it's unpaid. It's mm-hmm. class. I need class credit. I have to do 41 home games a year, and then I have to figure out a way to be in the office during the day and somehow work. LA, LA is expensive. So my, I was going to say my dumb butt, I, I gambled on, all right, I because I, I just like spent money on getting an apartment back in Dallas. So I gambled on like, all right, I'm gonna figure this out. I had to pay my rent in LA. So I'm like, I'm going to go to this internship. I'm going to impress them and they're gonna hire me right away. That's that's just my mindset. And um and I know like I don't have any money coming in. I, I just feel like there's no way I would get this internship and it doesn't work out for me. Long story short, I got evicted from my apartment like two days before the internship started i told my friend i was like hey i'll just live in my car that's how bad i wanted this internship and she's like no you can just stay at my house yada yada so i went to the internship the first day and they were like where's your paperwork for class credit and so i ended up signing up for class credit at um east los angeles community college which now people know from um last chance you right so i signed up for p.e right? PE classes. I'm like, okay, this has got to be easy. All I'm doing was, you know, it's literally like high school PE. Mm-hmm. They were teaching us the fundamentals of dribbling and kickball and all this crap. And I was like, okay, this is this is really stupid. So I tell my professor, hey, here's my paperwork. I'm taking your class for class credit for this internship with my dream job with the Los Angeles Clippers. And he tells me, yeah, but if I sign a paperwork now, I don't think you're coming back to class. So I'm trying to tell him, like, no, I will. He's like, well, look, I'll I'll sign it after you've been to 10 classes. My 10 classes is a little, like, two weeks away. And the paperwork needed to be handed in on the first day of the internship. Long story short, he didn't sign the paperwork. I had car trouble on, like, just random car trouble on, like, my third day. And I didn't get the paperwork in, and I got fired. Wow. <laughs> so and that was my that was my time to give up that was literally the time to just quit and give up i mean i thought i had this dream job i just got evicted my, i had car trouble and i lost this internship and this is 2000 i don't remember exactly what maybe 2000 it was blake griffin's rookie year okay 
So Chris Paul comes a few months later, maybe mm-hmm. even a few weeks later. No, it was a few months later. So this is right before Lob City becomes Lob City. Mm-hmm. And so I end up coming back to Dallas and I end up getting a job with the uh, unpaid internship with the Texas Legends. But imagine like I'm interning with the Legends, but I'm watching Lob City from afar as they take off. And I'm thinking like, man, that was supposed to be me. So that was a long-winded answer. But even when things look really, really bad and you just look like it's not for you, don't give up. Of course. Again, I, I can't say it enough. I appreciate the insight, just not only for myself, but for listeners and just for sharing your story in general. I mean, again, you said it's noble of me to not back down and share my vision of what I want to do. Well, again, I, I introduced you to the man, the myth, the legend. You said no one called a legend before, but in my <laughs> eyes, you definitely are. So again, I appreciate the insights and, you know, you're a role model to a lot of us. So I do appreciate that. But oh, anyway. Dope to hear. Yeah, let's talk some prospects in um, a much more lighthearted note. So I actually have a question I asked Isaac from Global Scouting this on Thursday when we recorded, but I'm actually trying to get different, differing opinions on it. So obviously you have experience with all forms of basketball. Mm-hmm. Between, again, I might be missing some, but between college basketball, high school, AAU, international, overtime elite, and G League Ignite. Those were like the main bases I thought of. Do you have a preference of like what you prefer to scout or is it just it's basketball's basketball and it is what it is? International, without a doubt. Yeah. And that's where that's you got my... your start, obviously. Where Yeah. Where... Well, I would say that's where I got my start. It's just kind of where I was able to separate myself exactly. and, yeah. and and just bring something a little different. But not international scouting, without a doubt. I would I would love to continue to live overseas and scout the international guys it's more challenging it's definitely a lot more challenging but i'm up for the challenge it's challenging to try to figure out okay this guy is really good but is he good enough to be one of the top players in the eybl or indeed assist 3ssb all right if he is good enough is he good enough to play at a power five school would he be one of the best prospects if he played college basketball, all right, can he play in the NBA? Does he have this? That like really drives me trying to figure out if this particular player not only has what it takes um, as far as talent, but can it also make the adjustment because it's a totally different culture. The game is totally different. Mm -hmm. And that is what I love the absolute most. My, My short term dream job is to be a GM of a team in Europe. That is my short-term dream job. And it's a dream job that I've never heard anybody ever say that they want to have. So, again, for me, trying to be different and think outside the box, this is just another example. So, speaking of international prospects and scouting them, I actually didn't have this question written like previously, but you've been scouting for quite some – well, not how long have you really started, you know, really deep diving? Uh, I started – I started my site in 2016. Okay. So since 2016, I'm assuming, again, I don't put words in your mouth. Is Victor Wimbayama the best prospect you've ever scouted? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you think, again, do you think he's better than like, like people talk about him being the best prospect ever? Well, you know what? I, I take that back. I take that back. No, he's not. Okay. Luca was. Okay. And then yeah. Luca, as everyone knows, ended up falling to three in the draft behind DeAndre and Marvin Bagley. 
from your international experience of scouting, and I know you wrote in that article that you posted on NBA Big Board that you scouted Luka Doncic when he was with Real Madrid, I think when you said he was like 14, 15, 17 years old. Yep. Why do you think he ended up falling to three? Um. Well, all right, so two things. DeAndre Ayton had ties with Robert Sarver from University of Arizona. Phoenix Suns had the number one pick. Mm-hmm. Sarver was an Arizona guy. Then I think there's still sometimes you, you don't pass on a big. Um, then there's rumors that, you know, when Vlade Divac was running the Sacramento Kings, there were some issues with Luka Doncic's father. Where, you know, in certain parts of the world, mm-hmm. there's certain countries that are split and necessarily don't like each other. I think mean, they all used to be Yugoslavia. Yeah. And I've heard, I can't confirm, but I heard there was some, there were some issues behind that. And, you know, for Luca, so I was I was in Europe the 16, 17 season. So Luca was with Real Madrid. He was a complimentary player. He wasn't mm-hmm. the dude. And they had a guy named Sergio Yuli. Sergio's a guy that the Houston Rockets have been trying to get. Still hasn't come over. But... For years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I remember Daryl Morey said, I don't know what they're paying him, but we've offered him everything. And Luca was a complimentary guy there, playing alongside Rudy Fernandez. And... Uh, that summer, I went back to Istanbul where they had Eurobasket. And I, when I say I absolutely love European basketball, the fans, the atmosphere, it's totally different than the NBA. Like, there's no, you know, like I went to the Mavs game yesterday. You know, you got the the guy throwing shirts in the crowd. You got the people that are trying to get people interested. In Europe, they, they walk in and they're standing, they're jumping. It's like the Cameron Crazies times 100. So... Um, so I wanted to experience as much basketball in Europe as possible. So I went to Eurobasket because I wanted to experience it, even though it's not necessarily the Olympics. And we don't in the States, we don't care about international, you know, like we don't care about the World Cup. We'll pay attention to Team USA in the Olympics, but we're not watching much. But for for countries in Europe, Eurobasket is like another version of the Olympics. You represent your country and so on. So I went back to watch him play and um, he just looked like a totally different person. Like he was the same confidence that he has now. He was playing. I remember they played Latvia against Porzingis and he was literally like setting the screen, backing up and just getting matched up against Porzingis one-on-one. This is when Porzingis was an Mm all-star. And I mean, he's just killing them. And I just remember telling everybody, like, no, this this guy is different. He was like, oh, he's too slow. He's too this, too that. So long story short, Luca played a long EuroLeague season in 16-17, which his team went all the way to the Final Four. Then he went from there to Eurobasket. And Eurobasket ended in September. And then from Eurobasket right into Real Madrid season, Sergio gets hurt. Now he's the primary ball handler. And so I think there was a point where he probably played over 100 games in less than a year. And there was a period where he kind of got worn out a little bit. And in Europe, you got to play your domestic league, which, you know, he had to play in Spain, and then you got to play in the EuroLeague. So it's almost like an NBA schedule in a sense. And I think some people started, like as his name got bigger, some people started kind of tuning in late when he kind of hit a wall and then obviously he picked it back up won 
you know, the EuroLeague. You MVP of both of them, right? The ACB and the EuroLeague. ACB, EuroLeague, and Final Four MVP, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Which, to put in comparison to Victor, Victor's playing in the French League, which he's going to win MVP the French League. The French League, their domestic league is nowhere near as competitive as the ACB. Mm-hmm. And he's playing once a week. Luca was playing in the best domestic league in Europe and in the EuroLeague, which is the second best league in the NBA. And he won MVP and, and, and won a championship as a teenager. So, I mean, you can't have a better resume coming into the NBA than what Luka Doncic has. Like, I think right now, if he retired, he has a Hall of Fame resume at like 23, mm-hmm. considering what he's done, you know, in Europe and in, 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 the, in, and in the NBA. Yeah. Um, and we're starting to see, obviously, I'm not comparing leagues. I'm not, you know, the most savvy when it comes to that. I know the ACB and the EuroLeague are way more competitive than like the French League, like you just said. But I just feel like there's so many new avenues. Like, I was talking with Isaac from Global Scouting the other day about the NBL and how the Mellow Ball, Josh Giddy, I believe Ryan Rupert, another French prospect, is there now for Adele, I believe it is. So, yeah, there's just so many different avenues, so many different leagues that I, I, I suppose what I'm asking is how do you compare, you know, the play, the play style and the level of difficulty of each league? It's, it's tough because, I mean, you you have to compare, like, the the age of the league. Like, your, your league is a little older. And then, of course, like, you know, maybe what guys were – former NBA players or fringe NBA players or college stars that are playing over there. You know, so you look at, you look at France, France doesn't have a lot of, well, well, you, some, well, sometimes you just go by the money, right? The more money the team has, the league has, the better players you're going to have. And so obviously your league is number one. Spain has the best domestic league. I would probably say Turkey has a good domestic league. Australia. I went out there once to watch Australia. I think it's competitive. Uh, I don't know if it's better than Turkey or not, but that's the challenge of it. Yeah. But it's really, to me, not too much different than when you're watching college basketball because college basketball, instead of different leagues, you have different conferences. The Big 12, in my opinion, is the best. Then, you know, you may go Pac-10, ACC, Big 10, whatever. So it's kind of similar, but it's just different countries. And and then I'm so into it. Like, I know, like, Serbian players play different than Italian players and so on. And, and that's the part I really love about it. But as far as, like, the difference, it, it, it just takes, like, really being over there to actually really understand, like, how much different the leagues are and, and how to compare it. Yeah, and I'm sure, as you said, 23 different countries – that definitely, you know, comes with a ton of the experience that you have. Yep. So, okay, I want to basically get into some prospects now. I, I think the best way I categorize this is people that either intrigued me or people that I saw, prospects I saw that are slowly rising up boards that I think people should either know about because, again, everyone knows about Victor Wimbayama, Scoot Henderson, people on most draft podcasts at some point have covered them. So I, I want to dig a little bit deeper. 
So I have, let's see, eight guys. Again, we could just do like a minute on each on what, who they are, why they're rising up boards, and, you know, maybe whether they could help their stock between now and the draft and how they could help their stock. So my first guy I'm going to talk about is somebody you actually wrote about today on Draft Big Board, and that's Riley Kugel from Florida. He's yep. actually someone I know he's really broken out since Colin Castleton went out, it seems like. Yep. Um, I honestly haven't watched him at all yet. I actually just downloaded a few games on Synergy to watch later tonight after we record. So Riley Kugel, he's, I'm assuming, is he a guard? I believe he is. Yep. Guard, freshman, and it seems like he's starting to, you know, have his breakout. So give me the blurb on Riley Kugel. I know you said you have him somewhere in your first round on the big board. So who yep. is he? How can he improve his stock from the draft? Because Florida, unless they win the um, SEC tournament, is going to be in March Madness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like him. He's athletic, 6'5", 207, can't create his own shot, um, has a good pull-up game, shooting 38% from three. And he's a guy that I just, like, if I look at it, like, all right, if he came into this season with the same buzz as some of the other guys, if he were a McDonald's All-American, if he weren't a late bloomer, and he had the same production that he's had, we'd be talking about a guy that's a top 10 pick, lottery pick. But he's some guy that, you know, a lot of people didn't talk about. Even NBA scouts, they are like, we didn't know about him. So now we have to go back to the – whether they they watched Florida at the beginning of the season. Now it's like we have to go back and watch him again because he's a totally different player. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like him. I like him a lot. I like, again, the physical tools, athleticism. And I think that he is one of the biggest sleepers, if not the biggest sleeper in this draft. And then you, a concept you just talked about is a good transition into my next guy I'm going to talk about. You said he's a completely different player than he was, you know, earlier in the year. And scouts need to now go back and rewatch him. Can't the similar be a similar thing be said about Kobe Bufkin from Michigan? Because I feel like he's a sophomore. He last year didn't do much of uh, again. I don't want to say much of anything. He's a very accomplished player, but he was really on. Yeah, yeah, he really wasn't on draft radars. And then all of a sudden, again, I know he's another guy he talked about today on Big Board. So everyone go check that out. And uh, I believe it was a UNC game. You said is really was like his coming out party. And now those people mm-hmm. talking about him as the best prospect on Michigan over Juwan Howard's son, Jed Howard. So what has Buffkin done in the past two months to really rise up boards, and what can he do to further solidify that? Well, number one, he was a young freshman. I think he's younger than Jed Howard. If he's not younger, I think they're like weeks apart. I think they were okay. both born in September 23 or 2003. So his freshman year when he averaged three points per game – he was playing college basketball while well, most of his peers, people the same age, were playing high school basketball. So on, on one hand, he has he, – I mean, he's the same age as his peers. He's just as productive, but he has two years of, of college experience. And I think what he's really done to solidify himself as a potential – or solidify himself as a, a strong candidate for this year's draft is just get to the rim. I mean, he is – very good at finishing around the rim, about 70% at the basket. He's fast, not like crazy, vertically explosive, not going to make a bunch of plays above the rim, but defenders have a hard time staying in front of him. He can play both guard spots. He can create off the dribble, shoot pull-ups. He's a respectable shooter off the catch. 
and he is just rising because he just does a little bit of everything, averaging about four rebounds per game, three assists. And with his age, he is, I mean, if you look at it based off of 19-year-olds, he is one of the more productive 19-year-olds across the board. And he's doing it as a as a, a sophomore while his peers are the same age and they're freshmen. Next guy I have is a guy who he's definitely a fish on pick and he's definitely rising up boards. I have him in my top 10. It's Taylor Hendricks from UCF. Mm-hmm. Um, what was he, a four-star recruit, I believe? Yeah. But he he went to UCF. I believe he was ranked in like the 60s or 70s in this um in this class. He was never really supposed to be a one and done. And then he's kind of, you know, once season started, even the first few weeks kind of took the college basketball by storm and really solidified himself as a first round pick. So what what do you think of Taylor Hendricks? Am I too high on him? I have him, I think, eighth or ninth on my board right now. No, I you know what? Who am I to tell somebody they're too high or too low on a player? Yeah. It is totally about opinion. And I respect people that aren't afraid to be wrong and that think way outside the consensus. So I think it's I think it's awesome that you get that high on him. And I think one of the, the things that and I'm not saying it's like I'm like just super experienced guy that worked in the front office and that has 20 years of experience. But I, I do believe you just have to trust your eye, trust your gut. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. If you're right, you're right. I mean, the, the guys that are getting paid millions of dollars and are running teams They'll are wrong it. all the time. <laughs> so, so yeah, if you have my eight or nine on your board, I totally respect that. And I, I, I understand why you would like him. He was somebody that I kind of stumbled upon. <laughs> so um, the first game of the year, he's the first and second game of the year. They played Florida state. And there's a kid that I know that plays for Florida state. And so I was really checking out the Florida state central Florida game to watch him. And um, you know, I, I noticed Taylor was doing some different things. I'm like, okay, kind of wrote his name down. Like, let let me see if he does this again. And I like literally the next day, it's a guy I won't mention his name, but somebody that very highly respected basketball mind. He calls me. He says, "Hey, I got a guy for you. NBA teams are are buzzing about him after this one game. I'm like, who is it? He's like Taylor Hendricks. You got to check him out." I said, man, it's, it's weird because I just saw him last night and I wasn't looking for him. I was just watching. I saw him and he's like, this guy's a first rounder. And it was kind of like confirmation what I already felt, but it was just one game. So I thought I was I thought I jumped the gun too early. So I've had him on my board. I even did like a preseason uh, draft guide and I had him in my draft guide. So uh, but not, I like him. I, I think that. You know, in this this whole pre-draft process, if he plays well, even if he goes to the combine and other guys don't, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that he could climb up into that lottery discussion. Yeah, I mean, I like him most because, obviously, pick and roll is such a big part of the NBA. And I feel like he's so versatile and dynamic in the pick and roll. I mean, I still haven't dug deep enough to really have my official big board. It's still obviously only March 6th, so we have still plenty of... Even if he's his season's basically done, if UCF doesn't make March Madness, my point is there's still a lot of digging to be done. I just feel like he could pick and pop. He His handle's a little loose, but I've seen him do some stuff 
creating as a pick and roll ball handler. He's athletic enough to be a pick and roll finisher. I just, I just feel like he's so versatile. So that's why I like him so much. Um, yep. The next guy I want to talk about, uh, tough name to say, the guy playing with Victor Wembayama on uh, Metropolitan 92, Bilal Kolobali. He's a guy Kulibu, who yeah. I'm starting to see more and more as in the first round. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me. It's kind of like once one person put him up there, everyone can kind of follow him. Mm-hmm. And I've had a chance to watch him play live a few times. First time I saw him was last year in Paris, and nobody knew who he was. I remember watching the game. Uh, it was with Mike Schmitz. So, you know, they got this Esparce league that is basically like their 19 and under league. It's almost like JV and varsity. So if you go to France and you watch Victor play, two hours before that game, there's like this under-19 game or whatever. And so I remember last year we were there to watch um, Ishmael Kamagate and uh, I forgot exactly who they played, but I saw Ishmael and Victor play last year. And then I went back. So Paris basket versus somebody versus Lyon, I believe. Um, and now I'm not who Victor played for. Anyway, forgot. But anyway, we watched the, the game before. Oh no, I'm sorry. Was it that? I don't know. Anyway, Lyon has two guys that I think are going to be NBA players in the 2024 draft. So, Two guys that I think could be first round picks next year. And then they played against um the Metropolitans and um Coolably. He had a good game, but he looked raw. He was long and and, and young. And I remember me and Mike were like, Who who is this guy? Not thinking that he could be a 2023 guy. And I'm friends with like his agent and people in the same camp. And nobody thought he was a 2023 guy. Mm-hmm. 2024, yeah. Even when you watch like the game against um, the Ignite, he barely played. I think he got some spot minutes here and there. But as the season has went on, when more and more scouts are going to watch Victor, they're watching the JV type game early, and he's averaging like I don't know what he's averaging, but I mean I've seen him have games like twenty one points. He's rebounding, and he's he's doing so many different things there. And now people kind of started to like follow the lead there. He has been able to get a few minutes playing with the with with the big boy club, but he, as of now, and I, I've talked to his agent recently. As of now, they, they don't know whether he's going to be twenty three or twenty four. Mm-hmm. The twenty four draft is considered weak to me, so another year he could end up being a lock in the lottery. So I don't know what he's he's going to do, but he's talented. Still a little raw. Um, still has a ways to go. Even if he is selected this year in the first round, I think he's a, a guy that's going to spend time in the G League. And he just doesn't really have a, a lot of high-level basketball experience. And so, um, you know, drafting him in the first round now, you, you have to understand that it's going to take a year or two to develop him. Yeah, and I know um, Jonathan Giveney just released his 2024 mock. And I believe he had him, he had him in 2024, he definitely had him top 10. I want to say he had him around eight or nine. So, again, you're saying you don't know if it's going to be 2023, 24, and you're friends with his agent. So, well, we'll have to see how that plays out. But, yeah, he's an intriguing one to me. And then I'm going to move on to a few guys that probably are more on the second round range. And the first one I have is a guy I can't quit. It's Dayron Holmes from Dayton. Mm-hmm. I admit that I have a flaw with today's NBA when I'm scouting 
I just never seem to love like the traditional big man who isn't switchable. And because of that, I missed on Walker Kessler. I missed on Jalen Doran and Mark Williams. I missed on Isaiah Stewart, who's actually switches on almost more guys than anyone that Bam out of bio Jalen Jackson as a big man nowadays. So you know that's that's cool that you recognize your blind spots. Yeah, and, mine is, and I'm having the same struggle now with Derek Lively. I have a buddy I talked to today. He's like, "Oh, Derek Lively's a vimpert. He's going to do the same thing that these guys did that you couldn't recognize." I recognize, yes, it could protect the rim, but what what other value are they going to bring? And I think that's my biggest flaw in scouting, especially big men. So Damon Holmes, I don't know if I like him because he's more switchable. He's athletic. He's great at cutting for a big, which you don't see too often. So I just don't know if it's it's the same reason I love like a Chimezi Me Too because he was able to handle the ball, go coast to coast, do a little bit of everything as a big man rather than being like a throwback big. So what what do you think of Holmes? I mean, I, I love him. I, I can't quit him for whatever reason. I've had him as a first rounder pretty much okay. the whole season. I like the passing. I think the passing is underrated. The athleticism, he blocked shots. He's still raw. And I think there's plenty of upside there. Um but if the shot ends up falling, then I could see him as a guy that could be like your your rim roller, your energy guy, somebody that finishes at the dunker spot. But the passing, again, is something that's intriguing to me, maybe a short roll passer. Mm-hmm. I, I like him a lot. I think if he goes to the right system, he could end up being a starter. Yeah, um, again, that's that's what I envision for him, at least. I mean, I, I again, cannot quit him. Um, Naquan Tomlin from Kansas State. Mm-hmm. Can you give a little bit of his back? I know he didn't play till Juco. He didn't play any high school ball. And then he started playing a few. I think he played three years at Juco. He played two years at Juco, I believe. I was ready today, I think in Miami or something. And then one year somewhere else before he transferred to Kansas State and his two years of eligibility remaining. Very good energy guy, he seems like. I mean, given he has no basketball experience, I think even though he's an older prospect, I believe he's 23 already or will yep. be 23 at the draft. I feel like there's still untapped upside because he's still learning how to play. So what what's your opinion on Tomlin? Yeah, he's raw, um, inexperienced. Sometimes when you watch him, you can see, okay, he is raw, and sometimes he makes some wild plays that you think that, you know, with the right development and, and time that he could, um, you know, he could develop into something. Uh, I remember mentioning it to somebody, and it was just like the first thing that came to my mind. I was like, he moves like Christian Wood. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if he he shows a little bit of being able to shoot, shows a little bit of ball handling. He's from New York, so, you know, people from New York love to put the ball on the ground a little bit. He does show some flashes, and, you know, maybe best-case scenario, he could be Christian Wood, a guy that is a little thin but can be a stretch and then also put the ball on the floor and, and, and block some shots here and there. So I had him as a second-round pick in my last mock. Um, you know, it changes all the time when, when somebody new comes in, somebody comes out. I think with his age, it's probably best to try to, excuse me, um, enter the draft this year. And I don't know if he'll get drafted, but a potential two-way guy, someone that – you know, if it's a team like, you know, a team like Golden State or a team like Boston, somebody that is, you know, that that has all the pieces that could take the time to to develop them and be patient with them, then I think they could end up with the real steal. And you mentioned Christian Wood. 
he was a very late bloomer. I mean, he was a process sixer. He was in the G League for a few years after that, and it took him some time. So, for obviously, for different reasons, Tomlin still brand new to basketball, just about. But yeah, I, I definitely see the similarities. Yeah. The last guy I want to talk about is someone who, quite frankly, I haven't seen. Oh, I'm sorry. You're fine. I'm sorry about that. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen him on any boards. I, I know I know who he is just because I love college basketball and I'm a college basketball junkie. But I was watching in preparation for actually the podcast we're doing after this on the big board. Nick Smith, I was watching. And this guy stuck out in the Kentucky game. And for some reason, I can't figure out why he's not on more boards. And that's Antonio Reeves of Kentucky. He had 37 points in this game, so maybe... I just got him on a career day, but he, I believe he played out where Southern or Northern Illinois somewhere. I know he transferred Illinois state. I believe Illinois state. Yeah. That's what it is. I apologize. Um, played Illinois state after 20 points a game and he's playing with severe wheeler out. Some major minutes for Kentucky and he's six, five. He's inconsistent. It seems like shooting wise, just based off his numbers, but I have to watch more, honestly. But six five guy who could shoot and have the Kentucky guard pedigree. I mean, I, I thought there was a lot to like. So, do you have an opinion on Antonio Reeves on why he's not getting more national attention? Yeah, man, I was. He had a. He had a. Sorry, I'm having all kind of problems. He had a good summer, and I thought that with the summer that he had, I thought that he was going to play a major, major role with, with Kentucky. And uh, he, he to me, he was their best player this summer. And then just the season just hasn't gone like I thought it would go. And I'm sure Kentucky feels that way overall from the team aspect. He does have the flashes of being able to be a high-level scorer. Um, you just never know what Kentucky guy, especially their guards. I mean, there's a history of their guards outperforming their draft status or being held back. And he, he could be the next guy. I mean, he was someone that – um, I want to say maybe like one of my first mocks coming into the season. I, I had him on there and then he just kind of fell off. This 37 point performance could definitely put him back up there. Um, we'll just see how, how he finishes out. And uh, he's probably somebody that is going to have to finish strong and then have some really good workouts after the season to to end up being like drafted in the second round. Okay, that's all the list of guys I have. Is there any sleeper that you want to quickly discuss, put out? I mean, I took out some of them from your article that intrigued me as well. So uh, you you might not have anybody else, but. Yeah, I like the kid Braxton Mia. The guy from Washington. Oh, yeah, you wrote about him today. I This is the first time, honestly, if I mean, I've never even heard of. He played at Fresno State behind Orlando Robinson last year, and now he's at Washington. That's as much as I know about him. So, yeah, nine point seven rebounds a game, but he is a really good athlete at seven one, quick off his feet. Uh, I think he's second or third in the NCAA in dunks. He's looking to dunk everything around the rim, and I, I see him as a guy that I think could be effective in the NBA. Still a little little raw. Again, not a lot of experience. Only averaged two points a game his first two years in college, um, but you know his first year and and. First year playing real minutes, and he's in the Pac-12. He's averaging nine points, shooting 71% from the floor. 
I think in today's NBA, it's crazy because he's nowhere near as productive as a guy like Zach Eady. Probably couldn't defend Zach Eady in, in a college game, but the NBA is so different. There's a role for him because he can be your your vertical lob threat, you know, your your dunker spot finisher. He's agile enough to where he can finish in pick and rolls. And Washington plays a zone, so you don't really get a chance to see a lot of his man-to-man defense. But some of the, the clips I've seen, he can contain, has the physical tools to contain and contest. And maybe he's Jericho Sims. Jericho Sims was a guy that was at Texas, it seemed like forever. I want to say he played with like Mo Bamba. <laughs> and and maybe they were freshmen together and I think Jericho's in is what his second year or whatever. So if Jericho Sims could end up being like a, a back back end rotation guy, I think I think uh Braxton could end up being similar to Jericho Sims. I like that one. I'm gonna definitely have to give me a good game to watch. I'll watch him and then Obviously, I value your opinion, and as you said, everyone's opinion is different. So I, I'm definitely intrigued. So send me a game to watch. I'll take a look, and we'll, we'll see how the rest of his season goes. So yeah, just watch the Pac-10 tournament. I'm I'm guessing he'll he'll yeah. do okay there. Okay. Um, maybe one game, but I mean, I don't he, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to get you 20 points and 10 rebounds. But you'll see a couple wild plays. Like there's at least three plays where I saw him catch the ball in traffic and dunk backwards okay. in, in traffic. So, yeah, I'm high on him. Not not saying that he's going to be like this great player, but if he ends up being a rotation player, back-end rotation player, signed an NBA contract, then he'll outperform some of the guys that are going to be drafted ahead of him in the second round. Okay. This concludes this episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. You could follow Raphael on Twitter at Barlow, B-A-R-L-O-W-E, 500 on Twitter. You could go look at his work on NBA Big Board, on NBA Draft Junkies. I know that was the thing before Big Board. Is that going to be coming back? Yeah, I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. So excited then. Yeah, So, so hopefully within the next couple of weeks we'll launch. Okay, so you could follow his work on NBA Big Boards, NBA Draft Junkies, and... I will talk to you guys next episode. You could follow me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. Rate and review wherever you get your podcast. Or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you can also follow my now personal Twitter account at the underscore NBAGLE. N-B-A-G-E-L-L. I will talk to you guys next episode. And Raphael, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Thanks again.